the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development at KGNW. I so enjoy this time with you each week as we share stories of God's faithfulness in our lives. The key scripture in my life, my life verse, is from Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I love to uh, go back and consider the faithfulness of God in my life, and I also love to hear the stories of how God has been faithful in others' lives. And today I have uh, as a guest uh, the associate pastor from Life Change Church. His name is Art Nelson. Welcome to Heart of the City, Art. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Yeah, Glad to be here. Uh, it's it's good to uh, good to meet you. I know that you're the associate pastor at Life Change Church, and uh, the, the senior pastor we're going to interview next week on Heart of the City, and uh, he's someone that I've, I've known uh, for several years, but really I've known of him, but uh, we're going to get to know more about him next week. Yeah, yeah, really a great guy. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, you and I have just really met for the first time, so we're going to hear this story, uh, our listeners and, and, and I are going to hear this story together, so... Did you uh, grow up in this Seattle area, or are you from other parts of the country? I'm actually from right here. I actually was born at, on 8th and James at Harborview Medical Center. Okay. So I am a Seattleite. Go well, Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not you're not too far away then from your birthplace, then, are you? Just a few yeah. blocks. Yeah. 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 Actually. So where where uh, where was school for you then? Well, I went to Cleveland High School. I went to Franklin. I went to Mercer. I actually stayed in the Beacon Hill area as well as the Central District is what it called what it was called back then over on uh, 19th and Yesler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've kind of been all over the city, really. Yeah. Well, so tell me about your, your growing up years here in Seattle. Uh, you uh, uh, that was probably what the the seventies? Uh, oh, actually, the the eighties and nineties. Eighties and nineties. Eighties and nineties. Okay. I actually um I came up right here in Seattle. I I came up in adverse poverty. I got involved in gang violence and the likes uh, at a young age. Um, and then really in my teen years is really when I when I went completely left. I was. Actually, the chief, the first chief of the Black Gangster Disciples, a gang that moved to Seattle back in 89. I was like 19 years old when I was made the highest ranking chief. So I stayed here in Seattle and I basically acted a fool for a long period of time. But when I was raised, I was actually raised in the church. I had a grandparent, you know, grandparents that went to church and my mom went to church after a while, you know. She started out not going to church at all, and then eventually she went to the University of Washington. Eventually she started going to church, too. And so I kind of came up around the Word of God. I went to it. My uncle started a church in the central area called Antioch uh, way back in, I don't know, when I was little. And so so I went there. 
And but basically, when I got off into the streets and into the neighborhood, I became very violent. And I ended up being the first chief of the Black Gangster Disciples and a uh, uh, drug dealer, gangbanger. I mean, you name it. Really, I was involved in it all. Why do you think you went that direction? Uh, well, really, I think it was learned behavior. But I also think that poverty played a big portion of it. But it was not just poverty. It was a poverty mentality. I saw at a young age, I saw my cousin die of an overdose of heroin, and I saw my uncle die of alcohol. I went to clean his apartment out. He lived over by the Paramount, and there was like maybe 70 empty bottles in his apartment. And, and then my dad was a heroin addict for 13 years, and he had disappeared on us at a young age, so, so I didn't really have him around because he was out being a heroin addict. And then so I kind of a lot of things, really it was a lot of things that kind of molded my belief system. And as a result of the pain, it kind of structured my thinking wrong. So that's really where. where yeah, I'm. yeah. How did that work out uh, with in your family environment? You had brothers and sisters. Were they kind of following the same types of behaviors? Yeah, actually, I do. I have a younger brother who is who's still breaking free from some of that type of behavior to this day. So, and I ended up. What happened was. After I stuck with that for a long period of time, I ended up in a shootout and I got charged with manslaughter mm. because I was the first chief of the gang and I ended up getting caught up with the scenario where I robbed a Nicaraguan drug lord because at the time I was working with a lot of the people who were bringing all the drugs into the city of Seattle. They used to get like 100 kilos at a time and I was directly intertwined with them because I ran the gang. So I decided to rob that guy. And he sent someone after me, and the guy he sent after me he had already killed someone, and he had just gotten out of prison, and he came after me, and basically I ended up doing that to him instead of him doing it to me. So I went to prison. I got charged with first-degree murder, and I fought for my life. Now, this is—I actually met God before I turned myself in. So let me, let me kind of jump into the story a little bit. So the incident occurred uh, like a day before Thanksgiving at a club that used to be down on the pier. At Pier 70 a long time ago. What year was that? This is uh, 97. Okay. 1997. So it happened down there. And so what happened was after that incident occurred, the next day I went on the run. I had alias ID. I was actually signed to a record company, too. I was supposed to be releasing an album during that season of my life. And so I went to California with alias ID, and I was plotting on what I was going to do. Because remember, my mentality was completely violent back then. So I was plotting as to what other steps I would take. It was about seven other guys that were in the same opposing gang that I had planned on coming back and annihilating. I had basically concluded that that's what I was going to do. And so I'm on the run, and I didn't know what had happened was my mom and my auntie, the police had surrounded my mom's house the day of Thanksgiving in 97. And um, so my mom and my auntie found out about it. So they had gotten together, and they went into prayer for 48 hours. Now, I didn't know that they were in Seattle praying for me for 48 hours. I was just on the run. And I hadn't slept for about that. Actually, the first 48 hours, I don't think I slept at all. Mm. And so uh, I think it was about three, that the third day that I actually went to sleep. And when I went to sleep, I had a dream while I was out on the run in California. And in this dream, it was different than any dream I had ever had. Because in this dream, it was me outside of the body watching myself rather than me just usually like in a dream experiencing the dream. Right. So I later, of course, learned to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so I later discovered that God was showing me myself and what I was supposed to do. 
So in the dream, I saw myself going into a Greyhound station and, and uh, catching the bus back to Seattle. Now, of course, there's nothing I would have thought. I, there's no way I would have thought to do that because I was about to go to the Billboard Awards. And then I planned on doing all that stuff afterwards mm-hmm. because I had a record exec who lived down there. and He actually ran some apartments in the jungle. So uh, I plan on doing all that. And, I, and, and when I woke up from the dream, I was so overwhelmed with like, what is this? This is strange. This is different. I felt like I'd never experienced that before. So I was like, okay, maybe it's God. <laughs> Even in that mental state, I knew that God could talk to me. So I was like, God, is this you? Is it possible that you would talk to me in this condition, in this state, in this current situation? And so I started talking to him kind of crazy. I was like, well, God, if this is you, you know what I'm about to do. So if you can stop me, stop me. I kind of was like, like, I don't know, kind of um, abrasive, like, you know what's going to happen. So if you can stop me, stop me. Mm. But uh, what happened was I, I ended up. Had you ever had a conversation before with God like that? Well, as a child, I did. Actually, as a child, I actually remember when I got baptized. I got baptized right up here in Seattle at uh, Shiloh uh, Baptist Church when mm-hmm. I was about seven. But I remember when I was real little, I had these shoes that were like, fake converse, right? And like uh, <laughs> every time they got washed, it would take two days for them to dry. And I would have to wear my church shoes to school. So I remember telling God when I was about nine, God, if you're real, I'm going to put these shoes out and I want them dry tomorrow morning so I don't have to wear those church <laughs> shoes to school. And God actually dried them. So yeah. I kind of knew there was a God, but, <laughs> but, but I just went completely left. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically... Um, after the dream happened, I was heading back into L.A. and I decided that I would go to the Greyhound station. And when I went to because the dream, I saw myself at the Greyhound station. When I walked into the Greyhound station, it was as if I climbed into the dream. So it was like it was like a Damascus Road experience for me. It was like God is involved in this. So every single thing I saw in the dream actually occurred shortly after that. In the dream, I saw myself Waking up now in the dream, I was in the sky looking at a Greyhound bus from the outside and I saw myself with my head asleep on the window. And then I saw myself wake up off the window and I saw myself look and there was a neon sign of a of a restaurant there. That's what I saw in the dream. And then when I was coming back on the bus, I went to sleep. And before I got to Portland, right when I was in the top edge of California, I woke up. And when I woke up, I looked and I saw the neon sign. So the first thing I did was look in the sky like like this is crazy. I thought I was losing my mind. So then I go to Portland. When I got to Portland, I went to a movie because I was trying to get my mind off of what I was going to do. I had all these thoughts about being violent and going and catching these people and knowing where they slept and all that stuff was going on in my head. And so I go to watch a movie. And when I go to walk into the movie theater, I look at a phone booth. That's back when they had phone booths. Hmm. And I heard in my spirit, call your sister at work. I was like, I don't know my sister's number at work. And I heard it again when I came out. So I went in, you know, sat down at the movie. Don't remember any other movie because my mind was still going crazy. When I came back out, I heard it again. Call your sister at work. So now I think I'm losing my mind. So out loud, I said, I don't know my sister's number at work. And then I heard the number is in my spirit. Wow. And, the, and it was the exact phone number. Uh. So I called the number and my sister worked as the Port of Seattle police back then. That was before 9-11. So now she works somewhere else. But. She was there, and so I called, and they said, Port of Seattle Police, and I said, can I speak with my sister? And told her her name, and they put my sister on the phone. She's like, Artie, oh, I'm so glad you called. Oh, the whole family is going crazy. Mom and them and such and such, and the police surrounded the house, and we're going to try to get you a lawyer. I'm so glad you called. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I remember when I got off the phone, it was like God Almighty is paying attention to little old me. 
Wow. So, mm. so I, it was like everything lifted, all of the pressure, all of the pain. And so then when I walked back through the mall, I went down past this store. There was a bookstore there, and I had just gone into the one across from it to get a Vibe magazine because I was a rapper and stuff. And then when I came back by it, I said, okay, I think I need to get a Bible because I think God's trying to talk to me. So I walked in the store and I said, do you have something I could understand? I haven't read a Bible since I was a kid. And the lady said, sure, here. And she gave me an NIV Bible. Mm -hmm. So I gave her the money and I got the NIV Bible. So then I went back to the room and sitting in this room and I'm going over in my mind, is God talking to me? Am I losing my mind? I know I didn't know my sister's phone number at work and that number. I know I heard a voice. It almost sounded audible to me, really, like my hair heard it, you know? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I, I looked at the vibe for a little bit and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to open this Bible. I did what they call Bible bingo. Right. I'm going to crack this thing open and just see what it says. And yeah. so I popped it open and it fell open to Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. Mm. So I just broke. I just broke right there in the room. I cried. I like a baby. I got down on my knees. And, you know, I didn't really know how to repent at the time. So I told God everything from, I said, Lord, when I was six, I was stealing candy. And when I was, uh, so I went through my whole life. <laughs> and I'm talking out loud to God in this little hotel room, wow. telling him everything. And then at the end, I said, and God, there's a lot of things that I forgot that I know I did bad too. So, uh. and it just opened the door for my relationship with him. You're listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, Director of Local Ministry Development, and our guest today is the Associate Pastor of Life Change Church in Seattle. His name is Art Nelson. It's amazing to me how the prayers of a mother and a grandmother are mm -hmm. powerful. I think God, I think he kind of leans over the edge a little bit more when he hears the prayers of a mama and a grandmother. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think actually also when I was about 13, someone prophesied over me. I was I was going to a little Pentecostal church in the South End. And uh, I remembered someone prophesying over me uh, one of the services and saying something about I would be a minister of the gospel and all that. I kind of really didn't listen because I think he had like spit in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so and it seems like right around 14 is when everything went completely left. Yeah. So, but I did have a prophetic word too, but it really was amazing that God would not only answer their prayer, but then would begin to converse with me because I got to the place where I turned myself in after that. Well, yeah, let's go, let's go back. There. I mean, so was your, did, did you tell your sister what was going on with you when, when you talked to her on the phone? Or did you yeah. tell her I'm coming back to Seattle? No, she actually said, come back come, or call me tomorrow and I'm going to have the lawyer contact you. Mm-hmm. And so I had John Henry Brown was my lawyer. My family got together and got a top lawyer for me. So I was like, okay. And I just felt relieved. I felt almost as if I no longer had to go and annihilate about seven other gang members because I felt like, okay, well, maybe this lawyer can help prove that it's self-defense, that this guy was, was dangerous and all that kind of stuff. So I figured maybe there's, a, there's hope for me. Mm -hmm. So... So that's kind of what happened, and I got relieved, and so I was like, okay. And I called her the next day, and then I was I was in Portland. I stayed in Portland, mm -hmm. and after that long repenting, and then I called the lawyer the next day, and he said, come on down, and gave him the alias ID and everything, and he walked me over, and I turned myself in. And I remember what when that, I— What was that like? Well, to me, it was like—I don't know. It was kind of surreal, but the whole thing was surreal. It was, it was almost like I had been enveloped by evil. It was almost as if I had— finally succumbed to all of this, the 
evil behavior and the evil thinking that I had been involved with and dealing with and all the pain and suffering, all the stuff I had saw, I kind of I kind of felt like I climbed into a dream almost of, of evil. And then when I went and I turned myself in and of course, after I repented, I felt like like God had a reason for me and how I like I had transitioned out of the pain and the dream of of perversion that I was in into the the loving arms of a God who had a plan for my life and who could now begin to implement it aside from everything else. Because one thing I did was I completely committed to disregarding everything that I had ever been taught. I had to on purpose choose to learn all over again. So I began to say, God, just teach me ABC one, two, three, because everything I've ever been taught has been wrong. Evidently, that's why there's so much suffering and so much violence and so much evil. So I began to ask him, just tell me, teach me, show me. And then, I, of course, I read the NIV like three times in about 10 months. And then when I, was in, when I was undergoing trial, God was working on my character, and he started revealing things to me about me that were the, the major causes of my being one of the hurt people that hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so and as he began to develop me and move me away from that way of thinking, I began to feel more and more free. And just it's really just the love of God that brought all the change, really. Yeah. If I could define it in one word, it would be the love of God, having the desire to grab somebody as foolish as who I was and to confound the wise by making him somebody like who I am today. During that time, you talked about the NIV, NIV Bible. And um, what role did the word have in your life at that time, the Bible have in your life? Well, it's funny because I was a rapper, right? So I had always been a studier, a person who would study words and try to figure out how to put words together. I actually did a song with Mix-A-Lot back in 96. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking that words are a big deal. But as I read the Bible, and I also knew that the prodigal son story was specifically for me because I had gone to church. So I knew that I was going to discover my life in the word. And I knew that I would not only discover my life, I would discover God and I would discover how to live life in the word. Even though I hadn't really, I hadn't really seen it portrayed with excellence in the past, you know, with mm-hmm. my family, because there was a lot of tradition and stuff involved. And I, I ended up having a genuine relationship with God to where I just laid everything out there and told him that I'm broken and fix me, please. And, and I need you. And as a result of me needing him and pursuing him, he began to show me everything in his word. It's, you know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit puts us in remembrance of the things that he's shown us. I almost like had a photographic memory hmm. of the Bible as I read through it. And I would say, wow, God, you did this for him and you did this for him. And I was like, Lord, in Washington State, Moses would have been convicted of first degree murder because that was contemplated. I, you know, I explained it all to God. I'm having a conversation <laughs> with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like some David also, Lord. I said, I said, it's obvious that you got you take these guys who were killers and who had the same mentality as what I had. And they were very destructive and, and terrible people. And you could take them and so change their life that you could use them greatly. Can I be one of those? You know, and it just was amazing to me that he not only would reveal to me his plan for my life out of his word, but the steps to take and the things necessary to complete the change that he had preordained me to have. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, as as you share your story, you're talking about David and others who who were were murderers and, and their story is in the Bible. And the, the power of that, you know, I'm not saying that your 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 story is um 
should be part of the 66 books. But I, what I am, what I do believe, as we share these stories in Heart of the City, mm-hmm. is that the same power that the Lord reveals in in, in the, the, those stories mm-hmm. in the 66 books of the Bible is the same power that's working in us today. Yes. And those stories are just as powerful and just as real as yeah. those stories back in 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 the in the Bible. Yeah. And so you went to trial? Yeah. Well, what happened? Trial. Well, I went to trial and in trial they ended up giving me 150 months the uh the jury I had a jury trial and all. They saw it like it was self-defense but that it was still reckless, so they gave me the lesser included. I was charged with first degree murder, second degree murder and first degree manslaughter was the third on the uh, lesser included. And so they said it was reckless, but they felt like it wasn't intent. It's first degree. Uh, second degree was something a little less than intent, intent to do harm or something like that. And then manslaughter was reckless behavior. So they basically dropped it down to that. They gave me 150 months. And I remember talking to God that day when I was at sentencing. I was like, God, this is too much. This is too much. But I knew that I was going to spend every minute of that getting to know him and his plan for me and being developed into who he preordained me to be. So I just went in like, okay, it's me and you, God. Now, that was somewhat of a struggle because, remember, I'm the first chief of the Black Gangster Disciples. So as soon as I got to prison, everybody's bringing me care packages, and they're telling me, you know, the G's run. They run the cigarettes. They run the drugs. They run all the different things. And so as a result, I had to tell them, well, I'm wholeheartedly going after the things of God from this day on. And as a matter of fact, stop calling me Big Art because I was Big Art back then. Mm -hmm. And I told him, God told me to tell you to call me Free Man. So you call me Free Man from this day forward. So that's why um, they call me Free Man still to this day. Interesting. Did they respect that? They did respect it. Those who loved me did respect that. Those who genuinely, you know, loved me. Or did they? Did were some thinking that was this was just a, another that, con? That was really. They was not thinking a con. They was thinking, okay, as soon as we have a fight, he's going to jump in. They was thinking, as soon as somebody messed with him, he's going to snap. They were thinking that I was on edge, but I was mm-hmm. wholeheartedly committed, and God began to work. And now I have the honor of being the ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery at Life Change Church. And so I get to help people overcome hurts, habits, and hangups. And I see people who are in different levels and different stages of bondage, and I just introduce them to the same love that changed me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Art, we have about three minutes left, and, and I'd love for you to kind of address that, those people. that I know today that there are people listening to your story and they may not have gone down the same road uh, as you as far as the, the level of violence, but yet there's a, there's a level of violence in their life that they're afraid of. Yeah. You know, it, it may not be overt, but there's anger, there's bitterness, there's fear, there's all of those things that are going on. Yeah. And if, and, or they may have a loved one that's going through that. And I'd love for you just to share with them in, in these final two minutes right. uh, about what what can the Lord do in that situation? Great, great. Well, first of all, if if you're somebody who's endured a lot of pain and that pain has attempted to penetrate you so that you can be used by it to inflict pain on others, I want you to know that there's someone who loves you. Not only does God love you, but he preordained a life for you that's beyond what you can imagine. It's almost as if everything you've been through has nothing to do with who you are. 
You see, we sometimes take on the identity of the pain and the things that are in our environment. But I want you to know that God has an identity for you and a place for you inside of his love that's going to change everything. It is necessary, though, to receive what Jesus did for you, because the first step to change is recognizing that there's someone who still considers me valuable. So if you receive what Jesus did when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead so that you could die to who you used to be and be raised again in him. If you receive that, everything about your past can disappear and you can start fresh and new. I just would encourage you to, to pray this simple prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, take my life and use it unto your glory. From this day forward, I choose to forsake all sin and to choose you as my Lord. If you prayed that prayer, it would be an honor to meet you in heaven and know that you were one of my family members that God used me to help restore. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Heart of the City, and our special guest today is uh, the associate pastor of Life Change Church in Seattle. And his name is uh, Art Freeman <laughs> Nelson. And Art, I really am glad that you shared your story today. If you want to know more or contact Art, you can get a hold of him through lifechangeseattle.com. Uh, go online at lifechangeseattle.com. And uh, you can connect with him through there. And so, Art, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. God bless. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.